In today's highly competitive mortgage industry, building profitable relationships with real estate agents is essential for success. However, finding effective ways to secure agent relationships can be a challenge. With so many mortgage loan originators vying for the attention of real estate agents, it can be difficult to stand out and establish meaningful connections. Our new case study featuring loan officer Chris Coghill is a must read. Chris has closed a remarkable 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals. And in this case study, he shares his proven strategies for building strong relationships with real estate agents and leveraging those relationships to drive more business. To get your hands on this resource, head over to locastudy.com and download your free copy of the case study today. You'll find actionable insights and practical tips that Chris used to close 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals and how you can too. Don't miss out. Go check it out right now. Visit locastudy.com and download your free copy today. Hey, listeners, what's up? It's Jeff Zimfer. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Mortgage Marketing Radio Podcast. I just want to say I appreciate you. I appreciate you. You're listening to this. I wish I could be there in your car, in the gym, maybe spotting you on that extra little bit of weight that you're going to push, maybe running on the treadmill together, whatever you're doing while you listen to this. Walk the dogs. I don't know. What are you doing while you listen to the podcast? I would love to know. Jump into our Facebook group and let me know where you listen to the podcast, right? Is it in the gym? Is it while you're multitasking or doing other things? Is it in the car? You're probably not in your car that much anymore, I guess, with COVID. I don't know. It depends where you are in the country. But I'd just love to get, you know, I want to interact with you guys more at a deeper level. And so you may or may not know, we've got a Facebook group, right, just for podcast radio listeners. Uh, you can go to Facebook and just type in Mortgage Marketing Radio and uh, put in a request to join the group. Let me make it clear, we do have some questions that you, uh, we request you ask before you uh, are uh, entered and permitted into the group. Part of the reason we have these questions is to uh, kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, right? Keep, keep the spammers out, keep like the third-party vendors who just want to pitch you out. It is exclusively, right, to the best we can control it, mortgage professionals who have an abundance mindset and are there to collectively learn um, from each other. And uh, we hope to see you there. So go check that out. One last thing too is as you're heading into Q4 here um, and you're thinking about you know, your plan for the end of this year, whether it's to finish strong or the new year, look, I, I don't know where you're at in terms of your focus on purchase versus refi, but let's just face it, um, right? A lot of people are talking about how uh, the mortgage, the refinances are going to fade away. As a matter of fact, the latest quote I saw was, uh, I can't remember if it was Stratmore or if it was a mortgage banking association that said that the refis are going to drop. Their prediction is 56% in uh, 2021 and purchases are going to rise 3%. So my question is, are you in front of that wave uh, and the wave of purchases, right? The millennials, the large demographics that's, that's uh, favorable for us in the mortgage and real estate industry in the coming years because of millennials, because of favored in, favorable interest rates, you know, um, so without going too deep on that, my real question for you is, are you prepared to take advantage of that wave? Are you in front of the wave? Are you actively seeking oil wells that will continue to serve you for the long term? Oil wells, by the way, one example of an oil well is a real estate agent, right? Five million transactions happen every year. Real estate agents still uh, control about 84% of those. So they're still at the top of the funnel. Yes, we want to go consumer direct. There's different strategies for that. But if you are looking for the, the, the if you will, the, least costly, highest conversion, least effort return, right, on a lead strategy, it is through the referral of a trusted real estate advisor partner. What I help you do is I help you grow your referral partner relationships without ever cold calling a real estate agent, without ever begging, without ever chasing, right, without, without ever selling your soul. How do we do it? We lead with an educational platform that acts as a magnet, attracts the right agents, and follow a proven process for you to get conversations and referrals. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to mortgagemarketing.pro. Check out the short video we put up. That'll give you more details if that's for you. All right. Now, let's transition into my special guest for this episode, who I was thrilled to finally be able to bring you. It was uh, quite a long time in the making. And look, uh, as we uh, continue to um, go through this uh, you know, shift in the market, right? From my book, Disrupt or Die, How to Survive and Thrive, the Digital Real Estate Shift. Um, listen, I think 
the most important skill we're going to need if we're going to win with disruptors in the market and, you know, whatever Zillow doing is, I don't know. And all these, you know, we're competing against a lot of big, well-known name brands. How do we not only maintain our momentum, but how do we just simply become more effective, if you will, at, 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 without adding additional overhead to our role and responsibility? I think the most important skill we need today as a professional is the skill of communication the craft of communication. And a lot of communication is based around curiosity and questions. And knowing what are the questions to ask, the right words, when to ask them. And so I wanted to ask uh, to bring Phil on because uh, I was introduced to Phil originally by a podcast I did with uh, Chris Smith, who's one of the co-founders of Curator. Um, Chris and uh, his partner, uh, Jimmy, uh, and my special guest wrote a book called Exactly What to Say for Real Estate Agents. And I want to uh, suggest that you get this book for yourself, but also get a few copies for your core realtor partners, right? Your, your top five, top 10 realtor partners or anybody you're prospecting. If you're actually going after agents, you want to send this book to them. Exactly What to Say for Real Estate Agents by Phil Jones. Uh, it's specific for real estate and it is chock full of examples, of phrases, of words, of how to overcome objections, how to you know, have your first consultation, how to really be an effective, clear communicator, how to build quick trust with people and so forth. I mean, there's just, it's one of the best books I've seen when it comes to, dare I say the word, scripting, right? And you're already scripting. The question is, how good are you? Are you unconsciously using scripts. Most of us do. We fall into the rut of saying the same things over and over again. So I encourage you to, to uh, check the speaker notes uh, for this episode, show notes, and there'll be links to uh, Phil's books. He's actually got, I don't know, four or five books out there. He actually also um, is known as the most listened to audio business book on Audible um, for his uh, audio book called How to Persuade and Get Paid. Uh, and that is actually a Broadway play a one-man show one time that he did on Broadway um, that Audible got behind and sponsored and they had a bunch of other sponsors. That's not on YouTube. It's only available on Audible. So if you're an Audible person, um, check it out. Phil Jones. If you're not, now's the time to maybe check it out. Um, and like I said, I'm going to put links to all that in the show notes to, to Phil's Instagram page as well. He shares amazing content on Instagram. His handle is, let's see here. What is it? Uh, Phil M. Jones UK is his Instagram handle. And then of course his uh, website is philmjones.com. Look for links in the show notes. But I just love the conversation that uh, Phil and I have together about communication, about better questions and words. Words. How words, the words we choose and use make a difference. Hope you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, let's get into this week's show. Phil Jones, welcome to the show. So good to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you, especially uh, it's been a long time. I know you're a busy guy in the calendar. The world has changed quite a lot, I think, since we originally communicated. I believe um, so. <laughs> yeah, lots of changes going on. So I wanted you to bring you to the conversation. Uh, as uh, you and I were talking just a moment ago, you and I originally were connected because of the book you co-wrote with uh, the gentleman from Curator, which is exactly what to say for real estate agents. But um, you've that's, I think, your fourth book, right? You have exactly what to say, exactly where to start how to persuade and get paid, exactly how to sell. I mean... Yeah, I got, I got I think eight or nine titles out in the world somewhere. But the really? three main ones are, are what to say, how to sell and where to start. And then, yep. and then we did the special edition of exactly what to say with uh, with the guys at Curator. And yeah. how to persuade and get paid is is an Audible original. So that's a audio only program. It's yes. recorded live off Broadway in New York. Really? You did that on Broadway? Yep. So you have kind of like I, a one-man show? One-man show, yeah. Really? That's kind of like Bo Eason? Yeah, something like that. Wow, that's awesome. Congrats, man. You know what that deserves? Right here, round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> no, that takes a lot of courage. Pinch yourself moments, right? Is is subsidiary of Amazon decides to, to, to back me to do a one-man show with a live audience that is recorded in one take that's going to end up being a product for eternity on Audible. And it's, and it's probably my proudest piece of work to date. So it may sound, you know, like a silly question, but there was a live audience when you did that, right? Yeah. How do you get a group of people to attend a, on Broadway, right? The topic of how to persuade and get paid. How do you get people there? 
Um, same way that you get people to attend an online course or to come to a seminar with a ticketed fee and, and with a slight added easier of this is happening once and one time only. Would you like mm. to be in the audience? Um, there are partners and sponsors from Audible's point of view that meant they wanted to send people. Uh, okay. I've got an email list. Uh, friends have got email lists. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was fun. It was an audience of friends and strangers. Um, yeah from all walks of life and all walks of profession, which was what my goal was, right? Is, is I wanted to have a, a subsection of everybody I was producing the program for in the audience. So when right. I called on examples or um, you know, led for pushback of objections and, and, and key frustration points that people thought were unique to their industry, mm-hmm. it's easy to help prove that they're not unique to just the mortgage industry or the real estate industry or the healthcare industry or the, you know, the plumbing industry when they're like, oh, you experienced that too. Um, it, it was quite nice to be able to see those moments. That's amazing. Well, I'll make sure we put a link to all your resources in the show notes. If I recall, though, is that that is one of the if, uh, most downloaded uh, audiobooks on exactly what to say is, in fact, the most okay. listened to nonfiction yeah. audiobook on really? Audible, and um, which I'm kind of proud of is it's a book that is yeah. is listened. They have like a 5.2 or something was the last stats I got back. 5.2 times listen through, okay. um, which so it might not be the most sold or the most downloaded, but the most listened to program, which is mm. like, that's a cool stat, given that that's what you're producing it for, right? Yeah, and I think there's a good reason for that is because what you talk about uh, really needs to be, I think, uh, to really take it on and own it and implement it in your daily life. Yeah. You need to know it really well. It needs to be like on recall without having to like think yeah. about it, you know? And it's a book on spoken word, which I think it's in its best medium form delivered in spoken word, right? Is that you can get the cadence and you can get the context with a lot more authority when when you're listening to it as opposed to reading it. Yeah. Okay. So, and by the way, for you listeners here, uh, if you're a mortgage originator, this is a a perfect podcast to share with your real estate agents. Because as we said just a moment ago, the book, uh, he has one of his books, of course, exactly what to say for real estate agents, what to say to close the deal, to win more listings, et cetera. You got to share this with your agents. All right, let me get into it. So I love when I open up the book and like one of the first pages, this this really hit home for me. Uh, This is one of the things you say on the first page, which is the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is the moment you are saying it. Yep. When I read that, I was just like, brilliant, brilliant. You know what I mean? So obvious. And let me, let me set this up properly. I'm a guy who believes in scripting. um, And as you probably well know, scripting has mixed emotions associated with it through the years. I'm sure you've had people respond negatively to scripting or I don't script. Right. Um, why? Let, let me ask you that first. Why do you think the idea of scripting, that word, comes with so much like baggage and people kind of want to put up barriers to that? Why do I think people want to put up barriers to it is first reason is almost nobody wants to do the work to do it right. Mm-hmm. So they think the, the scripting is cheating or shortcutting or or... <sighs> Not being authentic. Yeah, I hear that all the time, and uh, <laughs> and sounding canned, and it's mm-hmm. not every set of circumstances are the same, and all of this sequence of reasons. But the, the it all boils down to the fact they're too lazy. Okay. And if you think about every great movie that you've ever experienced, which was a moment that mattered, it, it, there was a lot of work that was put into crafting that script. Mm-hmm. If a movie is going to reach its um, you know, it's investment level where people want to say, well, how's the script? How's the script is, is like an important conversation for any piece of media that's being introduced. What's interesting about both financial services and real estate, which I've done a ton of work in, is I'll often start a workshop or a seminar that is based on, so what are, what are the frustrations about friction points that customers or prospects throw back at you? And boom, 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 boom. They can all hit me with a script of everything that everybody will say to them as a reason to not do business. I'm like, so you know their script. Yeah, right. Wouldn't it make sense that you prepared sequences of words that could help steer you from avoiding those pitfalls or navigating the conversation onwards from those pitfalls in a more proactive basis? Because I get it, you want to make it up as you go along, but how well is that working for you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what any professional would do is they would get ready, 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 right? Is if you are a tennis player, 
you want to know that if I'm being thrown an awkward backhand shot that I'm going to have to deliver on tournament day, you want to know I've done this before. And I've done this in drills in a training room environment. And that's what any pro has ever done is they've taken scenarios that they believe that are going to exist in the real world. And they've hypothetically prepared for them ahead of time so that when that moment happens in the real world, they can deliver to it. Mm -hmm. There's another beautiful thing though about scripting in particular is when you know your word choices well enough, you don't have to think about them in the moment. Mm. You can show up to the moment, be present in the moment. Let's come back to the analogy of movies. Some of the best movies in the world have had memorable moments that appeared off script. And the only reason that they appeared off script is because there was a script and somebody could serve the moment better that allowed them to act off of script. Otherwise, it would have just been made up mumbo jumbo, right? Mm -hmm. So we need scripts to give us structure. But actually, that structure gives you the freedom that you were looking for to not have the script, which is <laughs> kind of ironic, right? Yeah. So yeah, structure very brings freedom. Structure brings freedom. Ah, huh? that's 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 I love that. That's very true. Because then you kind of know like the the operating, you know, the parameters of which you're trying to operate within, and you can punch in and out of those and get back on track easily, right? Correct. You remain mm. in control. You can deliberately break a rule to then come back to the rule. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I remember somebody once saying that you're already scripting, you probably just suck, right? right. You, just <laughs> you already have a script. The way they answer a telephone, they're scripted in the way that they respond to an email. Everybody right. who tells me they don't script, I'm like, so you don't have a single templated email that exists within your desktop that you copy paste and then adjust as you need to, to send as a standard response? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, good. I love the direction we're going here. So um, I heard you say on a podcast of, that I was listening to you with, uh, with you on it, that you love two things, words and people, or you're fascinated by them, let's say. Yeah. And uh, words is obvious. So let me just take words. Well, what about words do you find that's fascinating or magical? Is I love how much a sentence can change by the tweaking of a simple word. I like how much people can impact or influence any specific scenarios by thinking about their word choices more effectively. And I also love knowing and then exploring the puzzle of how much people self-sabotage their own life through not giving consideration to the words that they reach for. Mm. I just find it like funny, both in an amusing and a weird way. Hence why I chose the word funny. Mm. Do you think people, now this is something that you hit on here for me. I'm wondering if people understand, I guess those in a relationship might recognize this, right? But the impact that your words can have right. negatively or positively, how you say them, the tonation and et cetera, right? All of it, all of it. And there is very little that brings attention towards these things, mm. particularly in the spoken word category. In written word, there are books after books after books, courses after courses after courses with copywriting and headline ideas and what can be done to improve call to actions. And, you know, we're all in agreement. There's nobody in an argument that says, hey, hey, spending the time to craft perfect copy on the sales page of a website or a brochure is not a good idea. Mm. Yet the conversations we have with customers, prospects and people are often far more influential than any of that written word, yet nowhere near the same level of tenacity is given towards that part of a process. Right. So do you think if somebody was looking to, you know, obviously you're, you're in sales, you're a sales trainer is part of what you do. Um, you, uh, what was your one book? Uh, exactly how to sell uh, the sales guide for non-sales professionals. Um, do you think just changing your script, if you will, or the words that you use, use the phrase magic words. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if there are actual magic words. Can that actually give somebody a, a raise? Yes. Hmm. Why? What would that do? Um, there's a few things is certain sequences of words will have more effective approaches towards conversion than others. Mm -hmm. Also certain sequences of words allow you to dance your way through a conversation. So you're at the right point at the right time, by which what I mean is a mistake that many people make is they start to be able to make an ask for something before they've gained permission to be in the conversation that earned them the right to ask. Mm. So for example, is you can ask, somebody to go um, and join you as your plus one at a wedding. Mm -hmm. But if you did that cold, it would be weird. 
if you did it at the end of a coffee meeting or drinks at the bar after agreeing to meet somebody for a date, it would kind of be the right conversation at the right time. So gaining to that point of permission of being able to make your next ask mm. is important from a word choices point of view. The other reason, though, that I think is even more profound is that if you in some way feel that you have prepared your words ahead of time, you show up with two things more in every conversation. One is more confidence and the other is more competence. Mm. And the confidence itself is something that allows you to be able to actually achieve better results because you're like, ah, I know what I'm doing here. I've got some tools in my toolkit. I feel more prepared for this. Therefore, I can show up more of myself for this conversation. Right. A giant principle that is taught through the bulk of my work, though, is it's the person that is asking the questions that's in control of the conversation. And you see, even just understanding that principle and then having a series of prefaces to questions that would allow you to get back on track to search for clarity in what other person is meaning, it stops you from sabotaging. Mm -hmm. And that's where the increased success comes from. See, people think we need to be better at selling. It's like, no, you just need to be better at not sucking. <laughs> Suck less. <laughs> right. And then what will happen is you win more by default. Yeah, yeah. The giant part of my principle is not embellish the option of yes, it's destroy the option of no. If you destroy mm. the option of no, as opposed to embellish the option of yes, you leave yes as the only option, meaning the other person feels compelled to pick it. All right. So my ears perk up on destroy the option of no. Uh, can we get a bit tactical uh, on how one does that? And, okay. and I'm going to take it out of context, tell you a little story. Sure. It is um, one of the roles that I was invited into as a consulting role along in the past was helping a furniture retail business improve its conversion rate with objections. Mm -hmm. And the furniture retail business had two core profit drivers that were more profitable than the original transaction itself. Sound familiar to the mortgage industry? Sometimes there's greater profit outside of the core product of the mortgage than there is in the mortgage itself. But finding value to get objections towards those other things is often harder. So here we are in the furniture industry. Two big objections that we had to avoid. One was, well, two products we were looking to add to the furniture transaction and the objections that were coming from it. One was um, fabric protection. So adding fabric protection to a couch, more profit in the fabric protection than there was in the couch itself. And the second was footstools, like an ottoman, an upholstered box. Mm -hmm. Again, huge margin in that product. Bosses wanted me to help the team overcome objections. I said, wouldn't it make more sense if we didn't get the objection in the first place? I said, well, what do you, um, I said, they said, what do you really mean? I said, well, instead of trying to put out the fire, wouldn't it make more sense that I find the guy with the matches and steal it from his coat pocket before he leaves the house in the morning? So I still got no idea what you mean. So tell me this, is what is the most common objection, reason or excuse that people give you as to why they don't want fabric protection on their furniture? Mm -hmm. And they said, strangely enough, the most common reason that we got was some version of I don't need it, I'm dead careful, we don't eat and drink on our furniture. Which was where I realized early on in my career that not all customers tell the truth, right? People say that salespeople are liars. My experience is not all customers tell the truth too, because I've never met anyone who hasn't sat on the couch and had a bite of food or a sip of drink. <laughs> like, like somebody's done that, but people say they don't eat and drink on their furniture. Okay. Yeah. The trouble is, though, is if they say they don't eat and drink on the furniture, I can't say, of course you do. Everybody does. Right. I have to accept it to be true. So if a customer or prospect says something, it must be true. If mm. you say it, it might not be. So let's take the other objection that was faced is I said, well, what about the footstool? Most common reason why somebody doesn't want a footstool. And they told me the most common reason was that somebody would say they've not got the space, not got the room. Mm -hmm. Having never seen their home, I can't say, of course, you put the room. So I took those two things and I write what's called a question tree. I write a lot of question trees for organizations and question trees destroy the option of no. And what I decided to do is instead of selling the benefits of fabric protection and footstools, I went to work on destroying the reason why somebody wouldn't want one. Hmm. Let's have a look at this in real time. Okay. If somebody's decided they want to buy this three-seater and this two-seater couch, I say, apart from yourself, who will be using the furniture? They say, well, it's me, the wife, the kids, the dog. I'd follow it with a leading question whilst nodding. I'd say, what? And a spot of entertaining. To which everybody says, yes. Like nobody admits to having no friends. So they've told me they're using this with a lot of people and they're often entertaining. I'd ask a further question, which is why I call this a question tree. Is it going in the best room or the everyday room? Do I mind which one they pick, best room or everyday room, right? Best room needs to continue to look its best. Everyday room is going to take a hammering. I win both ways. I say, your last piece of furniture, how long did you keep that for? 
doesn't matter what they answer, three years, five years, nine years, 11 years, I say, I guess you're looking for this to last the same time or longer. To which again, everybody says yes. So they told me they want it to last a long time. It's going in the best room or the everyday room. It's often used for entertaining with multiple users. Am I in good shape to recommend fabric protection? Well, of course I am. Mm-hmm. Trouble is, I'm not a fan of good shape. There's a thing I prefer, it's a thing called certainty. So I wrote another question. See, I learned if I preface a direct question with a simple sequence of magic words, I can get just about anybody to agree to just about anything, providing I'm reasonable. And the set of magic words I would preface with are the words, I bet you're a bit like me. So I learned that if I say, I bet you're a bit like me, get home from work, enjoy nothing more than pouring yourself a glass of wine and sitting down on the couch, people would be like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Even if they're a white wine drinker, they'd still agree to the red wine assumption. I'd say, I bet your household's just like mine, never finds time for a proper dinner around the table every night of the week. More often than not, it's a tray on your lap in front of the box. They're like, yeah, yep. So now they've told me they eat and drink on their furniture. Right. So I've disarmed that potential excuse. There's more to this though, right? I've still got this footstool to deal with. What am I concerned they might say? I'm concerned they might say they haven't got the space. So I come right for it. I say, this best room of yours, how big is the room? And it doesn't matter what they tell me. Three by seven, 15 by 11, 52 by nine. I'd say, wow, that's a fair size room. How big is a fair size room? Well, it's like a fair size. So I'm in good shape based on the fact that we've labeled this a fair size room, but I'm not done. Mm-hmm. I'd say you're buying a three-seater and a two-seater. How would you lay it out in the room? And they try and explain it to me. I'd put a sheet of paper down. I'd say, can you draw it? As they're drawing it out, I realized that everybody other than architects draws the room giant and the furniture tiny. Make it space for me in the diagram. As they're doing the diagram, I'm saying, when you're entertaining, what do you do for extra seats? Hmm. They say, well, like we're dragging chairs around from other rooms. Some people are sat on the floor and some people are sat on each other's lap. And I'm like, wow, that kind of party. But anyhow, <laughs> what I then say is, well, what about storage? And they say, we've never got enough room for storage. And now again, I'm in great shape to recommend a footstool or an ottoman, but I don't like great shape. What do I prefer? I prefer certainty Certainty is what I'm looking for. So I wrote one more question. Mm -hmm. Bear in mind, this is a British retailer where almost everybody celebrates the same holiday on the 25th of December. Mm -hmm. So the question I wrote is one of the greatest questions of my career. The question I wrote is Christmas time. Where does the tree go? Why? Because if you've got room for a Christmas tree, you've got room for a footstool. I just found it's home for 11 months of the year. Wow. Mm. It allowed me to do something really simple. And I know the story's a long way in getting there, but that's the way you need to work around if you want to increase the efficiencies and your conversions, right? Is that mm-hmm. was remarkably predictable for every set of circumstances that I could take that series of questions. Right. What it allowed me to be able to do, though, is to understand what selling really is. Mm-hmm. And selling is earning the right to make a recommendation which means you should never, ever, 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 ever invite somebody to be able to do something unless you can say these words first. And the words you should look to say first are the words because of the fact that you said. Mm. Because of the fact that you said X, Y, and Z, for those reasons, what I'd recommend is A, B, and C. It allowed me in this scenario to say, because of the fact that you said this is going in your best room and you're often entertaining and you want it to last a long time, what I'd recommend you do is you get your fabric professionally sealed at the factory. Hey, remember the fact that you said when you're entertaining that sometimes you struggle for extra seats. What most people do is they grab themselves a footstool. It can be used as an extra chair. It's pretty useful for storage too. And if you're ever wondering where it sits, it sits underneath your feet. So it allowed me to recommend as opposed to feature dump. And so... It, it, it just makes much, that much more sense, right? The old people buy on emotions and back it up with logic. Logically, that makes a lot of sense based on the journey you just took them through. Mm-hmm. And there's emotion laced in the journey. Why? Because what people are doing is seeing themselves in those scenarios. Right, right. And they're picturing themselves in those situations. Yeah. And the same thing would be true in the mortgage world, right? Is yeah. Nobody wants a mortgage. People want to own their home. They don't just right. want to own their home. They want to own their home in a way that is congruent to the lifestyle that they're looking for. So is this something they want to get unencumbered in the shortest period of time? And they're looking for the shortest, you know, the lowest monthly payment in the immediate term. Do they perceive they're going to be making more money in the future or less money in the future? Like all these things come to light. Right. But these are the things that should allow us to be able to make recommendations. No, I love what you said, right? You don't have the right to sell unless, what was it, permission ahead yeah, of time? Yeah, permission. It's right. earning the right to be able to make er- a recommendation. Earning the right. 
Yeah, to make and a recommendation. Yep. More with life insurance, you have to be able to say things like, because of the fact that you said, right, right, that mm -hmm. if anything tragic happens to your husband, that you'd be left in a fairly awkward position. What I'd recommend that we do is that we explore some of the options with regards to life insurance. Right. Now, there's a lot of parallels for mortgage and real estate. For those listening, I'm sure you're getting some ideas. Obviously, with real estate, right, trying to future pace people into seeing themselves in the home and how they're going to use the different parts of it with the mortgage. Obviously, we're trying to, I know my, myself and many others, um, move to a more consultative type role in the conversations we have with, yep. with clients. Um, so that, again, it gets back to questions 100%. I love yeah. that. And better questions too, as well, which is what we can think about. Well, what I see in both real estate and mortgage a lot is I see lazy questions. <laughs> Are you looking for a fixed rate or a variable rate mortgage? Like, like. Yeah, you, right. That's, that's, yeah, that's that not going question? to be. <laughs> uh, no. So it's, it's funny though, talking about this, it's, it sounds wonderful. And I, I, I didn't want to leave the original point of why do people have resistance about scripting, dialogues, look at them, even resisting using the word scripting. Uh, you know, to your point, you said, because people are lazy. Um, and I think, look, that's the hard truth. But what I love about like the book you wrote, what to say for real estate agents is you map out so many done for you questions that are simple yeah. swipe and deploy. It's and and like, their prefaces to questions more often. Right. You they take are, people through the journey. Yes. You know, and what they are is that they are they're just invigorators to allow you to have a more meaningful conversation. Well, they're all funny. teasers to give you permission to have the conversation that you really want to have. And right. most people make the, the mistake of asking the question they want the answer to, as opposed to asking a question that gets them the answer. Say that again. Okay. Is most people make the mistake of asking the question they want the answer to, as opposed to asking a question that gets them the answer. Hmm. All right. What does that mean? Take Let's just take a simple real estate scenario, right? Sure. Is, is if somebody is realizing that they should probably be looking in an alternative area than the one that they're in right now, because they haven't got the money to afford what they want to afford within the neighborhood that they're currently looking in and they keep finding things that are a fault, they would typically ask a question of, well, have you considered looking in ABC area? Mm-hmm. So which is almost certainly going to be faced with a ton of resistance as to why they don't want to go to the other neighborhood because they've got their heart set in this other area. And now all of a sudden they find themselves still stuck in the position for the next nine months of trying to help them find an impossible home, right? Mm -hmm. How often does this happen? Like all the freaking time. Yeah. Instead, if you got them to be able to say that they were open-minded to other areas, you might be in a better shape. So you do the dance the long way around is answer me this is what's more important to you, the geographic location or having five bedrooms and a minimum of 3,500 square feet. Mm. Let them answer. Right. Well, in reality, the space is the non-negotiable. Okay. How would you feel if we spent the next nine months looking in this given area to realize that there was nothing that met those time, those size constraints within the price budget that you were looking for? Mm. I'd feel pretty darn disappointed. Well, help me understand this. What would you rather we do? Extend the search to neighboring towns and cities or increase the budget? What would you rather we do? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, we can't extend. push any more than that number. So right. we'd have to. Right. What do you know about or what do you understand about why many people are moving to insert name of location? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't understand a great deal about why anybody would move. Well, what do you know about how its reputation has changed from what many people thought about it 10 years ago to where it's going in the future? I don't know a great deal about that. Well, how would you feel if I told you that many people were looking to be able to move there because they're in circumstances exactly like yours? And the high likelihood is four, five, six, seven years on from now, that will be a neighborhood that not only has grown in value, but is also full of more of the kind of people you'd like to live near. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love one of, my, one of your, my favorite phrases from you is, would you be open to? I've been uh, stealing that a lot and sharing it with some of my clients and just- in, in, in catch some nuance as well. Like I'm going to catch you on a tiny little mistake, right? We talk about how a word makes a big difference. Is right. people see the open-minded question appear in the book. Yeah. And they use it as a closed question. Mm. Would you be open-minded to? Still sounds mildly threatening, mildly argumentative. Would you be open-minded to, right? It's leading of the witness. 
-hmm. If you change the question, just to rephrase it very slightly to how open-minded would you be? Uh. Now what we've got is even more increased success metrics. I'm not saying would you be open-minded to won't work. It works great. How open-minded would you be works better. Because what it does is it leaves enough in the gray area for the other person to want to lean in. Right to the ramp that you've presented them with. And this is where so much of my work exists. It's like, I want to do stuff that says with words, like, I'm just going to open a crack in that door over there, but whatever you do, don't look around it, etc. Don't look through that door. Please, please don't look what's behind that door over there. I mean, you promised me you're not going to look behind that door, but I'm going to go missing right now for at least 35 minutes and I won't be back in any way, shape or form. And behind that door is something you might be interested in, but you promise you won't look behind that door, will you? Right. Like that's what I'm trying to do with so much things with language that leads somebody to do yes. their own little um, like yellow brick road. Yeah. What it does is it makes the buying process fun. Right. If you think about most purchases that you've enjoyed, it's because there was a dance involved. Yeah. And it's probably because you invested a significant sum of money. We yeah, want to enjoy fun. the dance, not the, not the tussle. People think people want to enjoy the negotiation. Nobody really enjoys that. They want to enjoy a dance and a trade-off, right. but it doesn't want to feel like a fight. Now, it's very funny. Uh, I, I go out like when, when we are early days in our marriage, when we were filling our house with furniture and all that stuff you got to buy, I used to enjoy going out there and see how much the salesperson would engage in a right. conversation, but most of them don't. It's, it's straight up the whole price-based question and you know that kind of stuff. They don't lead you on. Then when you find somebody who does, to your point, it's like, wow, that was an incredible that you, what you feel is like, you feel like they really cared because of the questions they asked. Yeah. They care about the result of the result of the result, right? They're prepared to get a few stages further down the tracks. You say something, uh, I have no context on this, but I wrote it down. Show me, you know me. Yeah. What does that mean? So there's a chunk that I've been doing right now to help people understand how to have conversations in this time. And it's a three-part process to say that every conversation needs to include these three critical ingredients in this precise order. And the first ingredient is one of curiosity, right? Is showing up to every conversation with curiosity first, knowing that you cannot insert your content into somebody's conversation until you understand their context. And if you show up with curiosity, you reach a position of certainty. If you show up with certainty, you create curiosity. So if certainty is what you're looking for, curiosity is the fuel to get you there. Behind curiosity, you're led to a second ingredient of empathy. Possibly missing in almost every conversation is the failure to be able to see the world through the other person's eyes. Mm. Best definition I've ever heard of empathy comes from an author friend of mine called John Acuff, who describes empathy as caring about what the people you care about care about. Mm -hmm. There's nothing cleaner than that in my mind of what empathy is. And we miss that a lot particularly in high-level transactions, like helping somebody secure the right financing product for their home, is I think we should care about what the person we care about care about. And rarely is that a product, a provider, or a rate. Mm. It's often something very, very different than that. And in every conversation we're looking for, if we're demonstrating empathy, we're hitting what I would call the show me that you know me button. And when you hit the show me that you know me button in somebody's mindset, then you get trust. So you start with curiosity, you move to empathy. Your result is you hit the show me that you know me button, which is what's earned you the right to then have the third ingredient that's required for every key conversation right now, which is courage. And by courage, I don't mean jump out of an airplane courage or climb a mountain courage, go to war courage. I mean, just the courage to ask for the thing you were looking for, whether that was the business, the, the information you needed, the advice you were looking for, is be bold enough to be able to ask. But if you ask without curiosity and empathy first, you're pushy and rude. Hmm. But if you do the dance in that order, then what you do is you understand the context, you see the world through their eyes, and then you can position your ask through the right lens. Now you don't shoot and miss. Now it's just the natural next step. Right. I love that. Love that. I wrote that down. Curiosity, empathy, and courage. So if, if I'm going to start to implement this kind of stuff in my sales process, right? Conversations, sounds like I need to do a lot more time, right? For the conversation. Um, maybe, mm. but, but more often than not, yes, not always, but more often than not, yes. Which by the way, I don't have a problem sometimes, with. Because sometimes I'm, no. Mm -hmm. You need a lot more time up front. Yeah, right. The first, first and, engagement. And 
what often happens if we're to break it down is say, say for example, you've got a three hour sales cycle spread out however long it is. Mm-hmm. What often happens is people cram a load into the front end, then they get a solid maybe, and mm-hmm. then they spend the other half of the time trying to convert the maybe into a yes by taking it uphill. Yeah. With everything I teach, it's like, let's spend two hours and 52 minutes of the three hours we have over this period of time building our case. So the final eight minutes is, well, of course. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, that, that's what we're looking to be able to do instead. So quite often it actually shortens the sales cycle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and reduces the total amount of time that you need to spend in that relationship. But it does increase the upfront work. Is our number one objective in the initial conversation to create trust? Yes. Okay. Is that the ultimate goal, really? Trust um, me as the person to choose? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once trust is existence, then like in your world is, is, you want somebody to be able to text you and say, hey, should I refinance this and see if I can get a better rate? And, mm-hmm. and you to be able to reply, yes. <laughs> like, like that's where you want to be at. Right. Or, or no, let's look again in the spring. Right, right. Okay. If all that right. work's been done up front, that's where it can be. Yep. Similarly, right. it could be like a, you know, a, a, you want them to be able to shoot you a note saying, hey, I'm thinking of buying two investment properties. Can you run some numbers for me? Like you, you don't want it to be pick me over the other girl or guy. Well, and that reminds me of a, a comparison we often uh, utilize in the mortgage space specifically. It, it plays into real estate as well, but that's the difference between a, a mortgage professional and a call center person, right? right? A, a, you're not going to call a call center person necessarily unless they've done an amazing job and ask, hey, I'm thinking about buying two investments. You're just not going to have that conversation versus if you are a mortgage professional and you've, you've done a lot of things we're talking about here, maybe use third-party tools you know, that I'm a big fan of, like Mortgage Coach, and you present options to people, right? That's when you become a trusted advisor. Well, even more than that, though, as well, it's the ability to, to, to go backwards in their life and mm. then go forward in their hypothesis for the future that earns you that right even more so. Because I still think the majority of professionals are very happy with the first win. Like if I can get the first win today, then I'm in good good shape. And then, you know, I'll keep showing up. Here's my hatred thing is the number of mortgage professionals that I hear call themselves trusted advisors. Mm-hmm. You have no right to call yourself a trusted advisor. Do tell. It's what somebody else calls you. Ah. Right? You just catch the nuance of the language again. Mm-hmm. Is somebody else needs to say, this is my trusted advisor. If you're calling yourself a trusted advisor, then move the chip off your shoulder. <laughs> right is, is is what should really come to light in this, and you do that through building these relationships. Remembering again that nobody wants to buy a house; they want a house for a purpose. They want that house to be paid for over a certain period of time, or to enable certain things within their life. And your job is to navigate them through all of their property transactions for the rest of their life. Mm. So you have to understand what they want to do with their life. Yes, which gets into uh, some people listening might recognize what we call kind of like our dreams and goals conversation, whereby it's not just a loan application, right? You've got to get into their dreams, desires, but also like really get into their life. Where are they at currently? Where might they be down the road? Things like that. Yeah. And this is, again, about how do you go about it? So you want an example of where people do things wrong. You're saying it's the dreams and goals conversation. So they say, tell me about your dreams and your goals. (laughs) A version right. of that, yes. <laughs> and, and that's what happens a lot. And I'm like, geez, people. <laughs> Get more specific. Whereas you'd be better to say, you know, what are some of the things that you have planned over the next three to five years? Mm. Right? All of a sudden, what we've got is a more... By the way, let, let me interrupt you. Sorry, does it have to be in the context of a house? What are, you, what are your no. plans? Of the, no. Just No, it could be, it, it could be towards anything. Mm. Okay. Okay. Like a question I teach to real estate agents as well is they say, like, how many bedrooms are you looking for? Mm-hmm. And, and they'll say, well, I'm looking for four bedrooms. Like, give me the follow-up question. Who are the bedrooms for? <laughs> like, like, who are the bedrooms for? Right. Like, the answer to that question gives you a ton. Right, right. Well, it's for, um, well, right now it's just for my daughter who's seven, but we're still open-minded about the fact that we might try again. Mm. And we got a number of friends from out of town that like to come and stay, and we've moved away from family. So, like, okay, that context is so useful. Mm. Instead, we're like, all right, four bedrooms. Let's plug that into my CRM, and and this neighborhood. Let's plug that in, and let the magic commence. Here are here's seventy two homes to choose from that all meet that criteria. It it sounds like what you're saying is be more human, strategically and purposefully. Mm. Okay. 
Because you can and be human. And some of these you have to, you, like, you can program yourself to say who the bedroom's for. Mm. Yeah, but it goes back to what you said originally, which is curiosity, which I think is one of the best traits of a successful salesperson. Hugely. Curious as hell, man. And instead of like, you know, what term are you looking for on your mortgage? Mm -hmm. Is how soon are you only hoping to own your home? You mean have it At paid off? It opens up the conversation about, okay. Right, right. Have so you thought about- year, 20 year, let's look at some other ways that you might be able to do it. Oh, I'd like to own it in the shortest period of time. So is there any possibility that you might have lump sums that you're looking to be able to pay off at strategic points over the next few years? Well, as it happens, yeah, we get like a, a two yearly bonus that sometimes is pretty decent. So, we, so you'd probably be looking for some form of financing that has no early prepayment like penalty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd be looking for that. Mm. Right, and you can start to actually shape a product that is better for their circumstances. Right. Because you might ask the question is how soon we open to own, own your home? And they're like, well, like in, in Venice, we're probably never going to own this because we're only going to be here three, four, five years. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to look to trade up again. So this is about us being able to customize the home for our existing needs and just have the lowest monthly payment over this period of time whilst we're working on our careers. Okay. So what you're looking for is the lowest monthly payment right now, knowing that the goal is to be able to build some equity in this piece so that you can then either move back closer towards family once your career has taken a pivot. Yeah, that's the plan. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And how much better does that feel, right? For the end user, I'll use that term, uh, need to come up with a better one, right? <laughs> that's less human, but. Family. Uh, that's an easier that? word. Family. Family. Yeah. No, that's a good point. A lot of people in our industry talk about families helped every year. Yeah. Instead of loans closed, it's families helped. Yep. Or served rather. Um, all right. Well, let's do this for the remaining minutes we've got. This has been great. I've got a couple of points down around objection handling. Let's face it. Everybody faces some type of object objection if you're in sales. Um, and this is what I love about your book. You've got very, if you're looking for tactical people, you got to go get the book. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's exactly what to say. Uh, the one for real estate agents, like I said, makes a great gift, makes a good book club, book study, whatever you want to do. All right. Um, I love uh, the transition kind of, I guess that's who you are. You're all about transitions, right? Um, here's what I love that you wrote. I think this is you. Success is created from doing the basics at a high standard consistently. Yeah. Right. To me, I love that. That's fundamental because talking to people, dialogue, what you say and how your skill level at engaging people, I think is a fundamental skill. It's blocking and tackling, mm -hmm. you know? Um, let's, let's bring that back to, to objections here. Um, you said this, kind of blew me away. Your presentation should negate the need for questions. The hell are you talking about there? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if your questions through the consultation process are comprehensive enough, when you then present a solution to somebody, the response should be, of course. There should be no need for somebody to come back and say, tell me some more about that, or yeah, but what about, or how about the other? It should just be, well, of course. And um, are you married? Yes. When you asked the question of your wife, to marry you, how confident did you feel that she was going to give you a positive response? <laughs> there's, actually a, terms. there's actually a story behind that, but um, you want a number? You want a percentage? I want a number, yeah. Where were you at? I was, see, I might not be the perfect example of this. However, to give you a number, I would say realistically, my gut's telling me to tell you 50% but I want to say 70%, but the truth is I wasn't 100% sure, let's just say. That. Okay, so you were shooting early without a huge level of certainty, wishing, hoping, and praying for this to be a yes. I was like, this is my last shot at keeping this woman. I've got to ask her <laughs> to marry me. Okay. <laughs> What's interesting is, is the majority of people when asked that question are shooting with a far higher number. Oh, I know, I know. That's why I knew you were going. I was like, I, I didn't want to, yeah. And there's no wrong answer. There's just a response to the answer that you gave. Right, right. right. Is, is I hear people say like 93, 92, 74, 68, but it's right. normally the right side of 50 is that they're feeling somewhere yes. near certain. Right. The, the, we're both on the same page in some way. Yeah, let's, right? let's face it. I had to feel a certain amount of certainty to do it as well. 
Right. right. So I was definitely on the on the higher side of certainty for sure. Um, wasn't 90, but a different context. So go and, ahead. And that's the level we're looking to get to, though, when right. we're making any form of sales presentation is that what we've yes. done is we've done enough pre-work to say that we're both on the same page. This mm -hmm. is just the natural next step. Right. And if it's the natural next step, then you can lead towards that without the need to expect any friction back in the other direction. All that's going to happen next is planning for what happens next. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you again because this is what I do. I get real specific. How do I know I'm ready to go to the natural next step? Well, let's look at the furniture example that I gave earlier on. Okay. If I've collected the evidence of the fact that they say this is going in the best room. They want it to last a long time and they're often entertaining. What I'm doing is I'm like, I'm banking that, I'm banking that, I'm banking that. What else? Like I'm looking at it and saying, I need to collect these, these pearls of evidence for mm -hmm. me to be able to say because of the fact that you said. If I can't say because of the fact that you said A, B, and C, for those reasons, what I recommend is X, Y, and Z, then I'm pitching and I'm hoping. Mm. Now, I would view every sales conversation like a courtroom mm -hmm. where you're looking to the judge and jury for a verdict but you want to make sure that what you've done is you've exhausted the questioning of the witnesses ahead of time <laughs> so that you feel that you've got the best shot of getting the outcome that you are looking for from the jury. Yep. That's where I'm coming at this from. And sometimes is that like the attorney never ask, right. Is that like the attorney never ask a question you don't know the answer to? Correct. Okay. Correct. Or, or, or never ask a question that you're uncomfortable with the answer to. Hmm. Okay. Cause you've got to be able to have sometimes a plan B, C, D and E, right? is that if you don't get the outcome you're looking for. And the beauty of speaking in terms of questions is if you shoot and miss, you can shoot again. Yeah, by the way, it's funny when I said that, I think the one exception to the asking the question, answer you're not, you're, you're not uncomfortable with, I guess that would play. I was thinking about the curiosity thing. Of course, you're going to ask questions when you're curious, you may not know the answer to. Right. Right, because what you're looking for is you're looking for their context. Yes. You are okay. happy that you probably have experience in regardless of how they answer that you have the ability to be able to steer it from here. So we're the looking mistake to... that many people make is, is mm -hmm. if, if you were a restaurateur mm -hmm. and you were looking to serve the perfect dish for somebody, you'd probably want to ask a good series of questions first to be able to make sure that you're not dealing with any gluten intolerance, if there's a food preference around, like whether they are vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, whether they're on any other form of diet, you'd want to know about what, you know, what their favorites are. And the more that you can gather on that, the more confidence you would have in saying, here's a perfect dish for you. If what you said is, I've got this amazing dish and it's brilliant, here's all the reasons why it's awesome. Right. You could serve up a raw beef tartare to a vegan activist. <laughs> and then be remarkably confused why they didn't love it. Right, right. And it's not because the dish wasn't right, it's because the dish wasn't right for the person, which is why it's back towards the person. Mm -hmm. And it, it's acceptance that your content without context is only ever noise. Nobody needs more noise in their life. So if you do the work to understand the context and then you insert your content, now you're helpful. All right. I love that. What, what do you see? I'm, I'm also a big believer in that. Um, and I'm keeping my eye on a clock. So we're going to, we're going to go fast here and wrap this up. But um, I'm also a believer in an opening statement of differentiation is important. Do you feel sure. the same way? Can you explain to me what an opening statement would be? Uh, well, obviously in the mortgage space, people are calling most likely being trained to ask what's your rate uh, and they have some preconceived notions if they, you know, haven't dealt with this individual before. So I like to kind of interrupt that pattern, if you will, and open up with, you know, some some context or whatever, but ultimately get to what like, here's what's different about us, right? I'm sure most other originate, you know what I'm saying? Go that dire direction. I like it. Mm -hmm. It can be evolved upon also mm -hmm. with a question. Okay. Such as? <laughs> so if they come in and say, what's your rate? Yep. You say, well, we have dozens of different products that vary between here, here, and here, depending on each individual circumstances. Right. What do you understand about the different types of providers that exist within the mortgage space within your locality? Mm. What do you understand about? And you Nothing. watch now, they go, well, um, well, I understand like I can get my bank or I can go through like a third party elsewhere or like, and you'll probably get to a conclusion where they don't understand a great deal. Right. So you could then say, so as well as rate, would it help if you understood a little bit about the different types of people that you could work with in this space so you could find out what was going to be the best fit for you? Mm. 
to which every human being on the planet says, well, yeah, of course I would. Right. I then might say, well, the way I see it is you really have three options. Option one is that you can you know, plug into your, your bank lending facilities and have a limited pot of resources yet with the transparency of them knowing your financial background and potentially be able to secure something slightly easier, but typically a less than competitive rate. Option two is that you can try and get direct to a, a, a lender elsewhere by trying to compare and contrast all the different products that are out there in the wild, wild west of a lending portfolio um, and try and make the smartest move yourself without necessarily the knowledge and understanding of all the key things that you should be looking for. Thirdly, you can work with an independent broker like ourselves who has access to the whole of the market yet is truly focused on you and your success and knowing that what we can do is align the perfect type of product to your unique set of circumstances. Yep. So help me understand, were you looking for just the cheapest rate or were you looking for somebody who understands your circumstances in its entirety? Mm. I like that. And, and I'm so it's the same thing, right? It's a pattern interrupt is what we're right. looking for. Right. But it's but a also, pattern interrupt with a sprucing of curiosity. Right. Uh, absolutely love that. Okay. So um, I'm going to, like I said, just recommend people get your book because uh, there's a couple of questions you have here regarding objection handling. Mm -hmm. um, and let's just finish with this one. When it, when it comes to the phrase, I know people use this a lot. They often say at the end, do you have any questions? <laughs> yeah, it's the student. So let's come back to the point earlier on when you said, why do I love words so much? And it's sometimes because a subtle change of words can make a profound difference. Mm -hmm. If you finish a presentation with the words, do you have any questions? What you've suggested to the other person is they should have questions. Right. Yeah, if you've done your job right, they shouldn't have any questions. Mm -hmm. So you've told them they should have questions, yet they shouldn't have questions. So in their voice inside their head, they're thinking, what did he or she not tell me? What did I miss? Must be, what do I not understand? So you're likely to bump into objections like I just need some time to think about it, some form of stall that says let's push this away for another day because you've suggested they should have questions even though they don't have questions. Mm. Instead, if you swap the words, do you have any questions to the words, what questions do you have for me? Now, all of a sudden, they lean in with confidence and say no questions. Now, because they've got no questions, what does that mean? It means that they've got all the information they need to make a decision, which therefore means that they've made a decision in their head, which gives you the ability to ask for that decision. And you don't ask for that decision. You assume they've made the decision, which is to follow the advice that you just laid down. And assuming that they follow the advice that you just laid down, you lead the dance to the next step. And here are the words to lead the dance to the next step. It's the words the next steps are. So the next steps are from here is we've got a simple application that needs to be completed. We're going to do that through DocuSign or, you know, we're going to get that set up for you now, or I can take some basic details from you over the phone or whatever it might be. We're just going to lead the next steps through from there. And nine times out of 10, people will go with you because you've earned the right to lead the dance through the work you've done before the work. Right. Love that. Love that. Love those just, I'll call them transition statements, right? Um, and there's some psychology behind that as well. I think that's one of those areas people don't think about, to your point about why you love words, because the words you choose, the structure and tonality and all that kind of stuff have influence, have impact. And we may not realize that we're actually defeating ourselves. And you, I, everybody in these conversations has a responsibility to lead. And really, that's what we are. We have, we have this leadership position. The very reason that somebody reached out to any of the listeners on this show right now is because they believe that you're an expert, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which means that you have to consult like an expert would do, dance the conversation forward like an expert would do, mm -hmm. and provide solutions in light of the information that you've gathered. Like right. That's what you'd expect from your primary care physician. Yeah, <laughs> it just that's a whole nother podcast. How we can improve primary care conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I know I say that's what you'd expect from your primary care. Uh, that's expect. Care. That's not what we're getting though, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, listen, you've been very gracious with your time and information. And once again, people, please get the links uh, in the show notes there to get one or many copy of uh, Bill's books, audios. I'm gonna check out that uh, the Broadway uh, uh, presentation you mentioned about how to persuade and get paid. That, is there a video of that as well on YouTube? Perhaps? No, all no, audio. No. So the, the audio. beauty of Audible Original is mm -hmm. it exists in that format and that format only. 
Yeah, fantastic. All right, so we're going to finish this out with questions. What a shocker, right? Um, all right, so I'm going to finish out with two questions. Uh, first one, I kind of tried to pick these out for you in advance. Um, <laughs> who are your heroes or hero? Who is your hero, one of the other, in real life? I don't have one. Is I've learned that if you pin your heroism on any one individual, you end up disappointed. Um, okay, toss. You see this card right here. That's out. Well, this is, <laughs> is, is I've studied success my entire life, and anytime yeah. I meet anybody who's brilliant at anything, then instead of saying "Wow," I ask "How," right, and I look to see what I can learn from them. And everybody from me working alongside great athletes like Usain Bolt and spending time with my late great grandmother, right, is, is everybody in between those spectrums have, have given me the ability to learn from. So my true hero is like a Frankenstein's monster of, of brilliance that has been forced together by dozens of people. And, and that allows me to be able to have this perfect picture that I know doesn't exist in a hero. Mm. that has been a hybrid of multiple others. And then I don't get disappointed of, of, of getting to meet heroes close up and then thinking that you just, you're not all that I thought you were. Right. No, that's actually a good, on, a good answer. Good, honest answer. All right. So let's close out on this question then, which is the one you ask uh, oftentimes on your podcast, which is what is your favorite word and why? Ooh, what is your favorite word? I'm going to give you one that has been my, um, my most used favorite weird word recently. <laughs> and I just think it's a brilliant word and it's the word penultimate. All right. You have to break that down for us. <laughs> so yeah. penultimate means like last but one, right? Last but one. So is, I think there's so much suspense that is attached towards the use of that word. You're like, this is important and I have more. If you're saying like, this is the penultimate thing that I want to share with you or for my penultimate question or the penultimate piece of information that we need to work through. Plus it's just a word that people don't hear that often. So it's like, what a cool word. And it naturally makes you appear smarter if you use words like that. Um, yeah. So I, I, I've been having fun with the insertion of that word subconsciously. Like it hasn't been- You haven't used it in a sentence yet with other people. Oh, I use it all the time. Use it all the time. Really? So all give the me an time. example of how you would use penultimate, last but one in a series of things. Okay. Well, the simple thing would be if I was um, oh, I see. Right bringing right a right. podcast towards a close, I might say, so my penultimate question is, right? Yes. And, and then position that there. And like everybody would know, like, this is about to finish, but not quite. Like, it's almost going to finish. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I got I got a handful of points I wanted to share about that. And I'd share a point, I'd share a point. And then so my penultimate point is this, which means I've got one more, right? So it, mm. it just, it, it's like a double drama point in it on from there. And it, it's playful is why I like it. it, it it's naturally, right. if you listen to comedians sometimes break down a joke, they sometimes just explain to you that a word is funny. Mm -hmm. And you don't know why it just is a funnier word. And penultimate seems to fall into that camp for me is it captures attention when used in conversation that um, is different. And I, I don't know if that is my true favorite word. It is just the word that came to mind when right. asked in this se session. Right. That's awesome. I guess the, 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 the simple answer I should have given, given that I gave penultimate as my penultimate answer <laughs> is, um, is the word exactly. Really? Because I'd like to earn a cent every time anybody uses it, given it's basically my word. <laughs> Are you saying exactly is basically your word? Yeah, I think so. I really? think so. Is that it is given that we have exactly how to sell, exactly where to start, exactly what to say. How often do you use that in your life? In your life, you're like exactly. Yes, that's correct. Right. <laughs> correct. I just want to send every time somebody says the word exactly. And look, here's one more little bonus on that. Is uh, I Does even it, have my own whiskey. Get out of here. Called exactly what to drink. Really? Yeah. Is that available in stores? <laughs> um, it was supposed to be, and I did it as a small batch, and then I kept the whole quantity, and I used them as gifts and. 
things. That's awesome. That's yeah. that's exactly what I need on this show, actually, is some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. Listen, man, I can't thank you enough. I know you're incredibly busy. You got a lot of people asking for your time, and I'm gracious that you've made time for us and our listeners. Uh, like I said, we're going to put links to philmjones.com and the podcast, your Instagram uh, feed, by the way. Um, I meant to go there. We didn't have enough time, but your posts on your Instagram feed, like the content there is killer as well. So we'll put, we'll put links to your social media sites and all that kind of jazz. Appreciate you, Phil Jones, for making so much time for being here, man. Round of applause. All right, man. And listeners, you know what to do. If you like this episode, hey, leave us a review. We appreciate you and we'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Hey guys, what's up real quick. Uh, you've heard about the mortgage marketing pro membership before. And I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business. Let's just face it. Agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done for you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done for you proven marketing materials and plug and play content to make promoting your class, getting agents butts and seats, partnering with affiliates, real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from eight to 50 transactions in the last 12 months and we'll provide that list upload into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call. We'll have a chat. We'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.